0: Here this morning. It is so good to be here. I apologize for not getting here on time, but um, I'm just like Tim Barrow show up late, make a big splash, and then leave, right? But it's so good to see you all here. Actually, I can't see you because the lights are so low. So, um, is it possible to turn the lights up a little bit, Brad or Steve, just so we can make sure no one over here or over here is sleeping? I want to keep you all engaged this morning. Um, I I had something, hey JT, I had something come up that made me not come to camp for the first part of the week, and um, the man made me go to Denver for a few days on business, and I have a verse that I quote a lot out of Exodus 1.8. Some of you may be familiar with this. If you work for a large company like I do, you should know this verse. It goes, there was a new pharaoh in the land who knew not Joseph or his many works. And as a result, you always have to go to corporate and justify your existence. So that's where I was this week, but I'm glad to be here. I appreciate Peter being flexible on the schedule and shifting some things around. Um, it's a great psalm to end with Psalm 8 for the week of God's majesty. As we were singing there, I was just thinking about how majestic our God is, how awesome in creation he is, and the psalmist agrees with that. So if you have your Bible or your app, let's um, go to Psalm 8. It's a psalm that's very familiar, I think. Most of you perhaps have read through this, especially the first part of it, the first verse, because it was a song that we used to sing. So if you turn, I don't hear a lot of page flipping, but I, I think I see some apps opening up. Psalm 8. The psalmist writes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glories in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? What are human beings that you would really care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What a great psalm. Again, a great psalm to end. Midwest Camp 2015 on speaking of God's Majesty, and I hope you can join in with me today to see the Majesty that God portrays here that the psalmist brings out. And there's, I, I don't have a PowerPoint, but if you're taking notes, God bless you. You're awesome. But if you are taking notes, I see some notepads in the back. Chrissy, call you out. Um, there are four points I want to bring out today. And you in there too. Okay. The first is um, we want to look at what David observed. Because there's an observation he makes that's very important. Secondly, what David felt, because we're all about feelings. Third, what David learned. And then fourth, what David foresaw. So those are the four points. What David observed, what he felt, what he learned, and what he foresaw. So let's look at what he observed first. And the first thing he smacks us with is, God, your heavens reflect your glory. Now, I'm not sure if you've really seen the heavens. I remember the first time I saw the heavens. I was 14 years old on a backpacking trip in the Sangre de Cristo mountains in New Mexico. And you know, I grew up in Ohio. And occasionally we'd go on vacation, but I never remember seeing the stars, the heavens like I did at 14 years old, at altitude, with no light pollution or air pollution in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, 11,000 feet up. And I remember the first night there, we were camping, backpacking, and I looked up and I thought, something's wrong up there. There's just a lot going on up there, more than I ever remembered, more than just the North Star or the Big Bear constellation. There were just multitudes of light, multitudes, and you could see the Milky Way, the galaxy we're part of. And it was just an incredible experience, and David said, you know, those heavens are some reflection of God's glory. When you look at the heavens, you see a bit of God's handiwork. The heavens are part of help to bring the reality of who God is and what he's all about to us. We can observe a little bit about God by just looking into the heavens. And, you know, it's hard to look at the, into the sky, the real sky, the true, unadulterated sky, and not see God's handiwork. But David sees not only the reality of God in the heavens, but the magnitude and majesty of God. Now, I want you to think for a second, what is it that's majestic? As you think about examples of majesty, what comes to mind you know, we don 't have a king or a queen here in America I don't, in Canada, do you guys have that i 'm not sure if you do or not okay you got who uh, well okay you don 't have that, but you, you do have a queen in England right Can, Canadians somehow look to the queen and there 's some i mean she 's an old lady, right? They need to retire her and get someone else more regal in there, but um, she, when she goes about town, she is very majestic. Uh, She either gets into a 1932 Rolls Royce, which is just an awesome car, or she gets into a carriage pulled by horses. I mean, how many of you do that? Maybe some of you in Tremont in the horse part, but I mean, really? Who who gets into a... I've got to go to the quick check for some milk, and you get into a horse-drawn carriage, 15 horses pulling you, white stallions. You know, that's majestic, but that's just a small portion of the majesty we see in God. And majesty is really defined by God's sovereignty. It's evidenced by creation, but it's based on, it flows from his sovereignty. And so today, even though I know you're very tired and your brains are about to last down to the last synapse possible for the week, and you're not going to be able to really uh, get engaged, I want you to stay there and think about God's sovereignty. Because this is the foundational doctrine. All other things flow from God's sovereignty. If we think poorly of God's sovereignty or think wrongly of it, we will have a man-based faith, a man-based religion. But when we put God in his rightful place as complete sovereign, then things line up. Our life lines up. It's a continental divide of theology, the sovereignty of God. And one theologian has defined God's sovereignty as the godness of God. It is the fact that he is God in name as well as in fact. That God is God. He is sovereign over all. He does what he pleases. He's not accountable to anyone. He answers to no one. Take away the sovereignty of God from God and you have no God. That's how essential the sovereignty of God is. And that's what we use to declare his majesty. That is the basis upon which his His majesty is found. It's the bedrock of all foundations. Um, Implications of a sovereign God is that he is supreme ruler. Nothing happens outside of his control. Uh, One theologian says, There are no maverick molecules in creation. Everything that goes on, every activity, every event, every random cell in your body is under God's complete control. Do you believe that? Do you really? Okay. I see you're a little slow here. You're, you know, John said we could say yes or amen. I, you know, I'm not big in that, but do you believe that? Yes. Okay, thank you. Six of you are awake. That's good. We're, we're gaining here. I started with two, now I'm up to six. There's no such thing as bad luck, right? That, I mean, I know we say, oh, that was bad luck that happened, but there is no such thing as bad luck with a sovereign God. There is no such thing as good karma. There's no such thing as karma with a sovereign God. Everything is under his control. There are no random events. There are no random molecules. There are no autonomous atoms going on in this world without God being in complete control. He's the one who presides over everything and all things. And we've heard some testimonies to that already this week. And Maureen, I'm going to call you up because I've got one more testimony I want to share today about God's absolute control and sovereignty. And, you know, we often talk about it in terms of... um, Things that happen that are not great. Things that are, 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 um, are challenging. And for some of us, it's more than others. And Maureen has a testimony about God's sovereignty that she'd like to share with us today. To really put some flesh and bones on what God has done and is doing.
1: <laughs> all right well um i this is actually my first year at camp and it has been a true blessing being here with all of you um and um just learning about god's sovereignty because sovereign, oh my goodness <laughs> sovereignty and grace and um i um am here just to share my test, my testimony of um yeah of how God has been sovereign to me. So, um, in the year of 1995, I had, um, been diagnosed with bone cancer and I was 10 years old and, uh, I was given, uh, actually three to six months to live and a possible year with chemotherapy. Um, my parents opted to go with the chemotherapy and, um, So I had a year of that and 15 surgeries to follow. Um, But I am now, at this point, uh, in 19 years of mission as of August. So, uh, (laughs) um, But God has just been so good to me through all of this. And he used this to... um, sorry. Um, just to teach me so much, um, to trust him and to know that he is in control no matter, um, what happens. And I don't know, you know, none of us know what the future holds, but I know, um, I know that he's got my back and, um, I ended up I had 15 surgeries on my leg. I did not get the, the amputation until this past October. Um, so uh, i the surgeries that I had had on my leg were just it was reconstructive type surgery that just nothing was really working to um, fix fix all of the problems and so um, I had to make this decision to get the amputation and um, but God just gave me such a peace um about it. And um I told my I called my doctor, he told me I needed it in April of last year. And um I called him in September and I told him I'm ready. Um, but I had the opportunity to be um prepared to pray about it beforehand and um, just to be at peace and knowing that this was the right decision before going in. So that was a blessing. And um, so I had the amputation. Everything went smoothly, at, well for the most part. And then um, about a month or two later, I was getting really frustrated uh, with myself and um, just learning um sorry um, learning how to live as an amputee has been challenging, but um, i I was just getting frustrated with myself and because it took me forever to do everything uh, just the normal day to day tasks and um, I went in for a checkup and uh the nurse had taken, like, she brought in this, like, mini ultrasound machine, and she, um, I don't know the term for it, but she, um, started, uh, putting gel on my foot, and I was just like, what, um, what are you doing? It's, I mean, I, (laughs) my problems are right here, not there, um, and, uh, she said that she, uh, they need to check to make sure that my circulation is good in this leg, because some people have to have, um, their second leg amputated uh, when issues come up. So um, I it was like a punch in the stomach <laughs> when she said that. Um, and so on the way home, I uh, just remembered this verse that God gave to me in April. And um, it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 16 through 18. And it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And um, I thought right then, instead of being upset about what I didn't have, I'm going to be so grateful that I have a lake. And um, I just have to, I realize that I just have to be grateful in everything and and remember what everything that God has, has Brought me through and carried me through, and the sovereignty sovereign of God. And um, my, our God is bigger than all of this. You know, we go through trials and tribulations, but He is so much bigger, and um, we can trust Him through all of it. So, Thanks.
0: Yep. let's give God praise for that. A great testimony, and you know, God is bigger than all of that. You know, that is, Maureen, before you go off, let, let's have a prayer for you. Father, we pray for your daughter here. We thank you for her, her, her word of testimony and for her faith, and we pray that you would take that seed of faith you've planted and grow it big, grow it strong in her life, that she would always look back and know that you are in control, that you are sovereign over all things. Bless her in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Maureen, for sharing that. It, it takes a lot of um, bravery to come up and share in front of a group like this. And we thank you for that, Maureen, because she focused on God. It's not about her issues. It's not about what's going on in her leg. But it's all about God and being thankful to him. And quoting those verses out of First Thessalonians, how appropriate. But I want you to think about it. How would it fec- affect your life if you believed God was totally Sovereign. Because I don't think we practically believe it. We do theoretically believe God is totally sovereign. You know, that you live your life with a purpose, with a destiny in mind. That God is in complete control of that destiny. That he has all things under control. The fact that there were some cells in Marine's leg that caused it to be amputated. Um, Bev, that you had a cancerous cells, and here, you know, a year later, you're still here praising God and giving testimony to him. And Nikki, that you had a heart issue, and w- what a beautiful testimony you had the other night. Man, I wish that, I hope someone recorded Nikki's testimony, because that needs to be, go somewhere, like on YouTube. Because what a, a, an elo- eloquent way of expressing her faith. And, and the other testimonies we've heard, if you really believe God was in complete sovereign control, what would that do to your life? What would that do to your complaining, your moaning, your groaning? You know, the fact that, you know, the light turned red. You know, really, the light turned red. Get over it, people. You know, God is in control. There are no red lights outside of God's control. You know, there are no stuck zippers outside of God's control. The things that frustrate us. All are within God's control. He does whatever he pleases. His plans always become reality. And that is why he's majestic. That's why David can write, "O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Because you are totally sovereign. You are totally in control. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. From, through, and to. He's the source and architect of all things. He's the uh, providential agent by which everything occurs. And he is um, receiving all glory from it. Well, David goes on. I'm going to skip to verse 3. And he talks about the work of your fingers. I want you to think about this. There are some artistic folks here. And artists use their fingers to create art. Now, typically, art is not a great thing. If you want to build a building, you don't just use your fingers. You use your arms and the efforts of your your muscles. But an artist uses fingers. And think about the universe being created as a finger painting of God. How majestic it is. It's like God just went, I'll just move my fingers around a little bit and create this universe that is so awesome that when you look at it, you just stand in awe of it. That's the universe that God has created by the work of, of, of your fingers. I was with a, um, a fellow who studied, studied astrophysics this past week and had dinner with him. And he is the most interesting man in the world. Um, he gave his dad the talk when he was a teenager. So that's how, how, how important this guy is. So he, um, he was sharing with me the size of the universe. And um, he said, if you took... Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, it's the size and and made it the size of North America. So we include Canada in that too, for those of you from Canada. Just a shout out to you all because we appreciate you coming. Bring more people next year. Um, if, If that was the size of the universe, North America, so the United States and Canada, our Milky Way galaxy, which is what I saw when I was in New Mexico, which is vast, would be the size of a coffee cup. In our solar system, which is the sun, and I'm not sure how many planets they have now. They seem to be adding planets and subtracting planets, but we're the third planet from the sun. And then I think Pluto's at the end. Am I right there? I'm looking for my wife. She knows all that stuff. Um, our, our, our solar system is, is like the size of a... Um, our our, our, our galaxy is the size of a coffee cup. Our solar system, as vast as it is, would be like a speck of dust. And you would be like, I don't even know what measurement to use. I mean, just totally de minimis from that. That's the size of our galaxy. There are estimated to be 100 billion galaxies. And this astrophysicist said, there are more galaxies in the universe than sand on the earth. Now, we've got a lot of sand out there. I mean, your kids have a lot of sand right now in their crevices, wherever that might be, from being out on the beach, right? You know how that is. Um, but just think about all the sand in Florida and California. You know, there are more galaxies, like the Milky Way galaxy, immense thing, than sand on the shore of Earth. That, that pfft, blows your mind. And that is God's finger work. And I want you to think about that. If that's the kind of God we serve, how should we treat him? I mean, is he just a handy guy that we can call in when we really need him? You know, I'll, just my wingman, I'll, I'll take him along when I really need him. But otherwise, you know, like the, the video vignette uh, John shared last night, you know, God, I'll, I'll take care of the chair. You know, you, you just go do about it, but when I really need you, we'll come you know, is that how we treat our God? He's an awesome, majestic God. And secondly, how should we, how should we reflect the world? You know, the world he's created, his handiwork. Uh, uh, the artist's work usually reflects the soul of the artist. And when we go out and look at the beauty of God's world, we should be good stewards of it and, and reflect it back to him, giving him glory. Well, there's something else David expresses here, and, and we we'll transition to what David felt in verse 4. And he asks a question. Look at this question. After seeing this universe that you've created, the glories of the heaven, what is man? You know, why are you mindful even of us? This is a serious question. Why would you even care, God, if you've created a hundred billion universes and the universe is just so vast that we cannot even think about it? If you've created a hundred billion of them, who am I? What, you know, really, God, what's the implication of this? And I remember going to the Grand Canyon, the first time I saw it, and I've been back about four or five times, and... And when I go there and see the immensity of the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there, you know what I mean. I never brag about the rock garden I put in the backyard. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty cool, but you should see my rock garden back home. You know, I got some rocks, and it even has a little waterfall in it. You know, that, that's ridiculous. And, and that's the feeling that, that um, the psalmist has here. Who am I? Why, is, why would you even care about me, God, if you were so immense? You know, there's two realities we can look at. One is the reality is that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. The other is that there is no God. And i like you to, th- to think about what that second reality, that second view of life, that second worldview consists of. Um, there's one very quotable last century uh, atheist, Bertram Russell, who um, has written about the worldview of the secularist, the one who does not believe there is a God. Listen to his worldview and think how appealing this is. He writes, addressing man's significance, he says, man is the product of causes that had no prevision of the end they were achieving. So there's no purpose in life is what he's saying. And your existence just happened. You know, There was no prevision of that. His origin, his hopes, his loves, beliefs are the outcome of accidental collision of atoms. <laughs> Welcome to camp. You are an accidental collision of atoms. You are just a mistake, basically. You know? Aren't you feeling good about yourself by now? All the labors of the ages, all the devotion, inspiration, and brightness of human genius are destined for distinction in the vast death of the solar system. Have a nice day. You know, glad you came. That's... That's the worldview of the secularist. That's the worldview of those without without God. And the implications are, if God's not creator, then all you do, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sweet, the kind, the pretty, are of no value. You know, you could be a softball coach, a volunteer, a Sunday school teacher, or a serial killer. It doesn't matter. If God is not in the picture, that's the reality of it. But David says... What is man that you are mindful of him? And look on in verse 4. There's a hint of redemption that he starts to play out here. And the son of man that you care for him. The King James Version says that thou visitest him. I like that. There's an implication that something else is going on in this universe. And that a salvation is coming. A savior is coming. What did David learn about mankind? That's the third point. In uh, in, in Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8, he says, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. And this is a recalling of Genesis 1 and 2. You know, David goes all the way back to creation and pulls that into Psalm, um, Psalm 8. Images of God treating the world with the care and the keeping that we've been given as the, the stewards of God. And that every human being is infinitely precious, no matter what their state. Uh, there was a horse this past year, I don't know if you've heard about it, uh, called uh, American Pharaoh. You, you, anyone hear about this horse? Okay, Katie's the only one here that's heard about because she's a horse person. She loves horses. But this horse won, um, just won three races in a row. So it wasn't a big deal. But they make a big deal about it for some reason. And they call it the Triple Crown. Uh, the horse is valued at $160 million. You know, it's not too bad if you had that horse. It's, it's valued at 160 million because of its um, ability to sire other horses that can win races. And you think about the value of that horse versus anyone in here. God says, you know, you are made in my image. All humans reflect the image of God, the Imago Dei of God. And you are so far more valuable. You are so far more important than a horse. A horse, even, and God's kind of proud of the horse if you read scripture. He he says, you check the horse out. That's a pretty cool thing. But man and woman, so much greater and that's what David is saying here. You are infinitely more precious to God than even American Pharaoh the horse, than Secretariat, or Seattle Slew, or any of those horses that were worth millions and millions of dollars. And finally, what did David foresee? Well, I wanted to go back to verse two. I kind of skipped it. And usually when you preach and you come across a weird verse, you skip it. <laughs> well, you may have noticed that. Oh, he, he dodged verse two because it is a strange, strange verse. I want to put it into some context for you because this is a foreshadowing that David foresees here in verse 2. He says, Out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Out of the mouths of babes and infants. Does that ring a bell for anyone? Like maybe Jesus quoted that. Does that ring a bell for any of you that Jesus actually used that quote out of Psalm 8? When he entered into Jerusalem, and it's found in Matthew 21 if you want to go there, as he uh, gets into the temple area, the people that are praising Jesus as the Messiah were the lowlifes of society. The, um, The poor and the widows and the little kids were the ones that were praising Jesus. And the Pharisees... Took exception to that because they were proud and they were arrogant. And they said, Jesus, shut these people up. You know, they should not be speaking. They're the they're ignorant of society. We are the ones that know. And Jesus quotes this, Psalm 8, verse 2. And he says, Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you call forth praise. They shout Hosanna to me. And this is how God deals with evil in a wicked world through weakness, through innocent and suffering. Um, even Israel was picked because they were the weakest and the most pathetic nation God could find. And God said, I'm going to work through you. So that should give us all hope, right? <laughs> if God wants to work through the weak and the pathetic, come on and use me. I'm, 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 I'm qualified for that. But it points to something even greater, the Messiah who's coming. And as I wrap up and call the praise team up, I want you to think about the time when God was not majestic. Can you think of any time when God was not majestic? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name? But when was God not majestic? Well, we find it in Isaiah 53, where Isaiah writes, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form, he had no majesty. God gave up his majesty. He had no form. He had no majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. God gave up his majesty for us. Think about that. This majestic God who with his little finger work put the universe in place, put the galaxies and all that we can see, the beauty of it. The beauty of just this morning here in Michigan, even in Michigan, we see God's handiwork. I'm not sure how that happened, but he does. Show his handiwork even here. And there's no room for pride because we're all pathetic before God. He gave up his majesty to come for us. And there's no room for self-loathing because he's mindful of you. I mean, both ends of the continuum of of man's pride and, and discouragement come together in Jesus Christ on the cross. And the ultimate proof is that he was thinking about you. He was mindful of you. And only the gospel provides that hope. Only the gospel provides that meaning. And so today as we wrap up camp, it's been a great week. We've learned a lot. But I just want you to think, God, you're so majestic and you're mindful of me. You're so awesome. You've created the universe, but you care about me. And as an image bearer of God, I'm more valuable. Even than the horse that's $160 million worth of value, I'm more more important to you than anything. Only the gospel provides a way for completion, for your fulfillment. And so as we go, why don't we stand? We're going to close in prayer, have a final song, and eat some great tater tots and be on our way. And let's give God glory in all we do because we're, we're important to him. Father God, I thank you for everything you've given us here at camp, for the whole week of teaching. I pray your blessing on all those who've worked so hard uh, from, from registration to teaching the kids to taking care of the little ones, for the parents who've made that special sacrifice to bring their, their kids here. God, I pray that... The seed that's planted in the hearts of those kids will, will grow and flourish. For the teens who've come, that um, this would not just be a week out of the, the year that is uh, special, but that it would go on and on and on in their lives. Father, thank you for um, the, the, those who are adults here, maybe no connections, who just come to support. Thank you and bless them. Father, we pray your blessing on our travels back home and on the week ahead. Help us to live in the spirit that you've given us here at Midwest Camp. Father, thank you for your majesty and your esteem. And we want to worship you and sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name, amen.